Gift Biz Unwrapped, episode 311. I got such a positive and amazing feedback from people that I realized, yeah, this is what I want to do. Attention gifters, bakers, crafters, and makers. Pursuing your dream can be fun. Whether you have an established business or are looking to start one now, you are in the right place. This is Gift Biz Unwrapped, helping you turn your skill into a flourishing business. Join us for an episode packed full of invaluable guidance, resources, and the support you need to grow your gift biz. Here is your host, gift biz gal, Sue Monheit. Hi there, it's Sue, and I'm so happy that you're here with me today. I'm starting off with an important reminder. As you know, I sponsor the At Home Craft and Gift Show, a virtual shopping show that gives you the opportunity to sell to a national consumer audience. Just think, no travel, no setup, no guesstimating how much product to make. It's all so easy and convenient for both the artist, that's you, and the attendees. The April show happens the 14th through the 30th, and there's still time to book your booth. To hear more about it, go back to episode 304. In that show, Robert, who's one of the owners of At Home Events, and I talk about virtual shows in general, and then also the At Home Craft and Gift Show specifically. Since we go into detail there, I'm not going to repeat it all here other than saying you want to consider this show. And you don't need to worry about being prepared, even if this is your first show. That's one of the beauties of At Home Events. We walk you through it all go over to giftbizunwrapped.com forward slash at home booth to register and make sure to enter in the code giftbiz10 to get 10% off as a first-time exhibitor. I'd mentioned at the end of last week's show how excited I am for our guest today. I met her just over a year ago and have seen such a beautiful transformation unfold. She joined Makers MBA at that time and was already a determined artist with a vision and had been taking action towards monetizing her products. By joining the program, she was able to perfect what she was already doing, add in the missing elements to strengthen her business, and, well, let's have her tell the story in her own words. Today, it is my honor to introduce you to Jimena Beravijo. Jimena is the hands and heart behind the hand-woven creations of Antrelanis Designs. Her love of yarn and textiles began in her early teens when she first started knitting. This led to crocheting, needle felting, and when she started weaving on a rigid heddle loom, that became her passion. Coming from Uruguay, where wool and wool products are part of the country identity, she found that creating hand-woven garments using Uruguayan pure wool was a way to stay connected with her roots. Today, Jimena shares that part of who she is through Antrelanis Designs. Jimena, welcome to the Gift Biz Unwrapped podcast. Thank you, Sue. I'm very happy to be here. I am so excited you're here, too. And we have taken a little bit of a journey this year together. Yes. (laughs) I'm excited to talk about some of the things that I know and some of the things that I don't know (laughs) about the evolution of your business. But before we do that, I want to do our traditional candle. And I know you know already all about it. 
So if you were to give us a little bit more behind the scenes of your personality, describe what a motivational candle would look like for you with color and quote. Okay. My candle would be red. I mean, I consider myself a very passionate person and red is the color of passion, but I would not do it completely red. Maybe start with red at the bottom and then at the top would be more like orange towards yellow, just because I like that. And my quote comes from a song that was very important for me in difficult times of my life. And then every time I hear that song, I just, it doesn't take me back to the bad moments, actually takes me back to the feeling that gave me at that moment. So if you allow me, because singing is another part of my life too, I would like to sing the quote and then I will say it in English because the song is in Spanish. Is that okay? Oh my gosh, I'm so excited. Yes, what a treat. Please do. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, let's see what my voice allows me today. So this song is called Color Esperanza, which means in English, the color of hope. And it was written by Diego Torres, which is an artist from Argentina. And the refrain of the song says this. Saber que se pueden, querer que se pueda, quitarse los miedos, sacarlos afuera, pintarse la cara, color esperanza, tentar al futuro con el corazón. And it says like this in English. I am like paraphrasing. It's not exactly the translation, but it says like this. You know it's possible. You want it to be possible. So get rid of your fears. Throw them away. Paint your face with the color of hope and tempt the future with your heart. That is beautiful. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. The words and your voice. And Jimena, thank you so much. Singing it just brings it to a whole nother level. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, thank you. I'm singing is very important for me, too. (laughs) No, I love that. You have a gorgeous voice, too. So I didn't know that about you. (laughs) You're already revealing secrets. This is going to be good. (laughs) Yes. All right. Well, let's talk a little bit about, you know, I want to almost get directly into your business because there's so much that we can cover here. But I love in the intro how you talk about It evolved from your passion of creating, mostly with yarns and textiles, which no surprise that your color was a graduated color, because that's how a lot of your designs are. Yeah. You know, you graduate from one color to another to another. So you tested out different techniques, if you will, different tools, different styles, etc. And the rigid heddle loom was really what got you passionate. But my question to you, this is a long-winded question step to my question is, what made you start thinking that you wanted to monetize this or turn this into a business? Where was that transition? Oh, that's a very good question. When I started doing the rigid heddle loom, which for people who are listening to this, is a small loom. It can be the biggest one is like, I don't know, like 80 inches, something like that. Maybe, maybe less, maybe I'm wrong. So it's, they are small looms and they are very portable. So you can have it anywhere. They don't require a big space. And when I started doing that and I realized that I could create pieces pretty quickly, even though I love all the other techniques, I was never a fast knitter or a fast crochet person. I'm very slow. It takes a lot of 
patience and time to create something, a final piece. And with weaving, I started like producing <laughs> like, really fast. And I spent my whole first year, I learned how to weave at the end of 2018. And I spent the whole 2019 creating things and giving them away to my friends, my family, anyone, you know, secret Santa. <laughs> and I kind of started looking at the reactions of the people, really. Like, wow, this is beautiful. Thank you. Oh, my God. Whatever. So then I just started like this question started popping up in my mind. Like, why don't I do this? Something more serious with this. But the first thing that actually made me really, really believe in that was that at the end of 2019, I participated in my first show, fair, and I got such a positive and amazing feedback from people that I realized, yeah, this is what I want to do. I feel so happy when I do it. It's just, it feels for me that it was the perfect, I wouldn't say end because I keep on learning things, but it was the perfect road that took me to weaving through knitting, crocheting, needle felting, all this stuff. I felt like that was the road I had to take to get to the place where I was really feeling comfortable and very creative and, you know, inspired and passionate about. And you also have all this knowledge of all these other techniques now. Yeah. So you're experienced in the whole textile realm, if you will. Yeah. And I consider myself a very, it's funny, I learn things much better when I see them and when I see other people doing them than from reading from books or studying or whatever. I'm more like in the moment creation. <laughs> but the thing that's so great about your story up to this point is you got affirmation from your audience mm -hmm. that this was the right way to go. Yeah. Which is different than some people. I mean, some people make a product, decide they want to sell it, but really haven't tested out the market. I don't know that you were really testing out the market so much because you had affirmation that things were good and that your product was desired, if you will. Then you went to that show and saw it even more, saw it with people who had never known you before. Yeah. It's different when you hear it from people that you don't know that when you hear it from your friends. Yeah. Taking yourself back to that first show, were you an established business yet? Or how did you decide that you were going to do the show and pick the show and share with us a little bit about that? Yes. So what I did during the year before I got to the show can I take you back a little more? Sure, of course. So that summer for us, the 2019, I went to visit my family in Uruguay. And I was there and I took some shawls to give to my sister and my, one of my sisters and my mom. They had all been seeing my pictures. So they were, oh my God, this is so beautiful. And I was there and I don't know why, but I started to say, let me find something. Maybe I can find a show that I can do. I never did a show before. So it was my first ever and I found this and I submitted my request, like my interest, and they responded right away. And I was like, what? <laughs> I, re I remember the day they, I was still there with my sisters and my mom. And I was just so happy. I couldn't believe that. By then, the only thing I had was an Etsy shop. So I started with that. So you had your business established already? In a way, yes. I had it established in the sense that I decided to be out through Etsy, which was the simplest way to do it for me. It was free and I could just put things out there and see what happened. But I hadn't had any sale. 
yet. Okay. And I don't know how much visibility I had at that moment. Mm-hmm. I didn't have a Facebook page or anything yet. So it was just that. For this show, I had to have seller's permit. So I kind of like started trying to get a little more serious about it. I got the permit and then I did my business cards and I came up with a better logo. Uh, The one I had for Etsy, I had created it and it wasn't very good. So I happened to have a family with a lot of artists and graphic designers. So I asked one of my brothers to design me a logo (laughs) and that's my logo now. It's perfect for you. And of course, Gift Biz listeners, you can go over to the show notes page and see everything that we start referencing as we go on. If you wanted to take a peek at that while you're listening, you certainly could. All right. So the show, was it a local show? Yes. It's called Marine Arts and Crafts Show. So I live in Marine County in Northern California. And this took place in what we call the Civic Center, which is a very big, beautiful building. The show was huge. I mean, for me, it was huge. It was like more than 150 artists. And I was there. And I was the only one doing that kind of thing. So the only person doing weaving and the only artist that was present there who was also the person who made the pieces. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. You were the only one who was the artist of the products that were being sold. No, what I mean to say is that there was another person who was selling also like woven things to people, but they didn't make them. Right. They got them from other people. So that was really cool because when the people would come and say, oh, who made this? I did. Oh, really? (laughs) It's like, there's a very big change when they ask you that. Yeah, you know, that's really interesting to talk about, too, because as you know, when we talk about, especially if you are the maker of your products, there's a new relationship that gets established between you and your customers. And I think a loyalty to you and a fondness at a deeper level when they know who you are. Yeah. And it's kind of like they feel like they have the inner path because they know the artist, (laughs) right? Yeah, totally. And so it sounds like from what you were just describing, you saw that change in people and the way you could communicate with them because it was a different, deeper level. Oh, yeah. Customer to creator, if you will. Yes. And I have to say that now that I know more about how to deal with customers and how to relate to them, I wish I had at that time a little clipboard to ask for them for their information and emails because... I didn't at that time. I had no idea. I have to say that there were moments in that show that I was completely overwhelmed by the amount of people at the same time in my booth. It was like, <laughs> it was incredible. So I didn't know what to pay attention to. But Yeah, good and bad, right? You don't want your booth to be silent. At the same time, it gets overwhelming if there are too many people. Yeah. A little tip just for everybody who's listening here too. One way to manage that, if that happens for you, is just to acknowledge that other people are there and then go back to the person that you're talking to so that people feel like they've been seen. That way they're more likely to stick around. And you can even say, so glad you're here. Take a look around and I'll be with you in a minute, something like that. And then they're more likely to stay versus if you don't acknowledge them, they'll probably just leave. Yeah, I did that. And that was the exhausting part of it. (laughs) Because you kept going back and forth, probably. Exactly. You kept going. And I felt like bad that I was interrupting someone who was talking to me. It was like, okay. (laughs) Yeah, it is kind of a juggling act. Have you now started bringing other people with you when you do other shows? How have you managed through that problem? Well, my husband always comes with me. Mm -hmm. He's a really good salesperson. He really sells good for me. (laughs) He's my CFO, as I call him. Mm -hmm. And sometimes my daughters 
if they are in town, they might come for a little time. But most of the time, it's me. The other thing that you can do, I just wanted to make mention of this, is if as you continue progressing and you're doing these shows, people will start coming up to your booth who have purchased from you before and you get to know them. So what I've done in my shows, if the booth gets overwhelming, is if I see a customer, I'll say to them, oh, let me introduce you. Like if there's another person looking, I'll introduce them to a current customer and say, you know, she's already got one of our shawls. So-and-so is considering between different colors. I thought I'd introduce you to and I'll be with you in a second. And then they start talking and then your customer starts to sell your product for you. (laughs) Yeah, that's great. So lots of different little techniques there. At this point, I think it would be good for our listeners to understand also how Antrolanis Designs fits into your whole life because you have other things going on in your life as well. Yes. You're not doing this full time. I wish. (laughs) No. Maybe someday. Yeah, maybe. So share with us the full picture and then we'll go on and talk about the business some more. Yes. So I am a teacher. So I work full time at a school. And even though we are with a pandemic and everything in my school, we are in person. I actually go every day to school and I work there from 7.45 to 4. And then I come back and I do my stuff for Entrelanas in the afternoon and on the weekends. So more or less, that's how I organize myself. When I was at home teaching virtually, It was actually great for me because I had way more time to dedicate to the business. And yeah, every single moment I have, I use it to do something related to this. However, there are certain moments when I am pretty like I had that like at the beginning of this year. Like I was, I don't know if it was for the intensity of the end of the year or what, but I was just like, there was nothing coming like. I don't know what to do. I was completely frozen. So in those days, instead of like forcing myself to sit down and do something that I don't feel like doing, I go on a hike or I just start cooking or doing something that will bring my creativity back. It's not that I lost it. It's just that there are certain moments when I can't find it. (laughs) Mm -hmm. It wasn't that sales were frozen or that, but that your ability to be creative to make new designs... Well, I think it was a mix of everything. So last year, at the end of the year, you know how it is. You know, the holidays, I had a lot of sales and I had some commission that I had to really do quickly. And then came December and my plan had been to go and visit my family like I normally do for the holidays and I had to cancel the trip. I was kind of processing that, first of all. And the other thing was like, I felt with everything going around in the country, in the world, and everything. I mean, it was a moment for me to pause. The good thing was that I gave myself that moment, and I didn't... Because normally, you would see me this way. I come back from work, I change into comfortable clothes, I talk with my husband. If my kids are home, I chat with them, and then maybe I prepare myself something, and then I go and sit in front of one of the looms, and I start working. And it's nothing forced. I love doing that. It's like I'm looking forward to that moment. And these days when I was feeling like that, I was just walk up past my looms and look at them and said, what am I going to do now? And come to my room where I have all my yarn and look at all the different things. Nothing, nothing pop up for me to do something. I just let myself go through that process. Mm -hmm. And there was a moment when 
it clicked again and it started producing again. So mm-hmm. I'm happy. Because you reach those ebbs and flows in business. Yeah. You know, sometimes you love it, and especially when there is a creative edge to it, because I think the best creativity is when it flows naturally. Oh, yeah. And I'm thinking everyone is a little bit different. You had the option because you didn't have to make something like there wasn't an order waiting, it sounds like. You were just ready to start creating anew mm-hmm. that... Had you forced yourself to sit down at one of those looms, you might have started going into resenting having to do it versus still loving what you were doing. Yeah, because that's more or less my goal with this, Sue, is that this is not my main income whatsoever. No, So it's like um, not at this moment. So I'm just giving myself that permission to do things because I love them doing and not because I have to do them. Mm-hmm. It is different. So... Even though my goal is one day to transform this into my income, at this moment I don't have. And I think, you don't know, I think maybe at a different age in my life I would have gone through the whole thing even if I wasn't inspired to do it. But at this time, it's like, get it now. Just Mm -hmm. take a break. Mm -hmm. It's fine. You're a beautiful example of integrating your business into your life with everything else that it encompasses versus starting a business and having that be your life, like taking over everything. And I like that you bracket it and keep it in its place. That's a good learning for all of us to remember, to bracket it. I consider myself very intuitive weaver in the sense of when I sit on the loom and I have an idea for a piece, I do have a main idea, so I know what colors I'm going to use and I know more or less what style I want. But many times I don't have a real pattern in my head. I just, I go with it and I many times, many times I change it halfway or I just, oh, I like this. And I like doing it that way. I feel like, you know, there are other amazing weavers who follow a pattern and they do these things very, count your rows and count how many things here and how many there. And I did that. In fact, I did a lot of that in my first year, the year that I was not going public yet. And I liked it, but then I discovered this other way of doing it more like it's a piece of art. I consider it a piece of art, like a painting. And a painter never does the same thing twice. Right. I do that and I really feel when I do it that way, I feel replenished. You know, like I feel like, wow. I mean, it's kind of magical because you have to start with some type of an idea, right? Of course. But then what actually comes through the process changes and transitions, and you don't even know what it's going to be at the end. No, I don't know. That's fascinating because everything gets rolled and the beam in front of me. And sometimes I say, okay, I hope it looks what I want it to look like. And then I open it, wow. (laughs) Oh, that's fun. Okay, so let's go back to the time right after that first show. So you were really excited. You were getting a lot of affirmation from people you didn't know that your product was fabulous. You're starting to get sales. So that's exciting. And so what happened then in terms of the growth of your business? Well, that was in November, the show. So then came December, I had another small show that I did have good sales, but not as good as before, as in the other one. And then came January and February and all that stuff. And that was, I didn't have anything there. But that was the time, I think it was in January. I think it, didn't we start with the Makers MBA at that time? Was it January? We started in March. In March, okay. 
But I think that was the time that I signed up for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that would be about right. Yeah, I was like, I had a goal, and I knew I wanted. To. And at that time, I realized Etsy was not going to be my thing. So I started thinking of. I mean, I try with Etsy again. Like I try to do promotions. I try to do things, and it didn't work. I didn't attract sales. It didn't inspire me to attract sales. So then I started thinking of, okay, maybe I need to have my own website. Yeah, I started working on that. The idea. And I continue weaving. I did not have sales for many months, but I continue creating. And I created a very big inventory, in my opinion. And then I started finding other ways of going out because, well, then COVID-19 came. And things I had planned were canceled. I discovered this market, open market, open air market, outdoor that was organized guy here from the area and I really liked the style and the way that he was organizing things so I started signing up for that and I got accepted so I started going out in open market it was September Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but yeah around August or September and that was a wake-up call (laughs) (laughs) it was interesting because I do remember when you came into Makers MBA and it took me what like three or four weeks to learn how to pronounce your name properly. I tried really, really hard. (laughs) and I finally got it. And now it's like, I know it. It's so easy. Why didn't I know before? (laughs) But part of what we do in Makers MBA, as you well know, I just want to brief everybody who's listening is we take it from the top and talk about like, what are you trying to build? What's the product? What's the message? How is it different? Like a lot of analysis which then leads the pathway as you're moving forward. And I remember a conversation that we had as we're looking at the product, because part of what you want to talk about is your pricing, obviously, right? You need to know how much your product costs to make, and then you need to have margin to grow your business, and then you also want to pay yourself, all those things, right? Your product is moderate to high-priced product, wouldn't you say? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So describe to everybody the products that you offer and the pricing and a little bit of that mindset because we had the conversation, do you do some lower priced products? Uh Do you do all higher priced? You have your own line because you also make yarn. So talk through a little bit about how you settled into your strategies. Yes, must be one of the hardest things to do to put the price to your work. And I think it goes for me that do big pieces and also for the ones who do small pieces, like small pieces of jewelry. Everything must be hard. At the beginning, and this goes back to my first show. So I, when I went to that show, I kind of put prices just because I thought that was the price things should have. And then I started having, like I had three or four people who came to me, started talking to me and told me, oh yeah, I am a textile artist too or whatever someone who knew who was in the business they told me your prices are too low you need to raise your prices and I was like really are you sure I said yeah you have to do it your quality deserves more than what you are asking for meanwhile they buy five shawls (laughs) before you raise your price (laughs) it's funny from the three people only one person bought one thing but it doesn't matter I mean for me Mm -hmm. I really trust them. They came honestly. They didn't come to tell me that to make me not be able to sell anything. I kind of tested the water in that show. So the last day I actually changed the prices 
put prices there, okay, I maybe, I think. And I sold everything. I almost sold out in that show. Wow. You know, this also shows, though, that the price also equates to the quality, right? Yeah. So when you make your prices higher, there's the automatic perception, and in your case, it's true, obviously, of the quality of what you're buying. And some people are going after that, right? They want to buy the quality. They're not looking to buy a $20 scarf. Yeah. So what I do when you ask me about my materials and my process, so when I started doing this, and you mentioned that in my introduction, that I get my yarn from Uruguay, which is where I come from, or for those who it's better to say it in American way, which is Uruguay. (laughs) (laughs) Otherwise, people ask me, are you from Hawaii? (laughs) Right. (laughs) So I get the yarn there. We have really excellent yarn. And every time I go, I go to this specifically store and then I buy yarn there but I buy the yarn that is already dyed and spun and everything and I do pieces with that and then like a year ago I kind of fell in the rabbit hole of spinning and dyeing your own yarn and even though I said I am not going to do this I'm not going to do this so much work I am doing it right now you're doing it (laughs) so I kind of decided to go to, as you very well said, to create a line in my products that is all done by myself. And it's called Tres Manos, Three Hands, because it is hand-woven, hand-spun, and hand-dyed. And so that line of products I do, absolutely unique, I mean, because nobody does the same kind of yarn I do. And those are the highest price in my collection, because I... It's really, I start from scratch. I start from a ball of wool that I turn into a piece. And you show it on social media when you have your different colors going. Yes. Which is very fun. (laughs) I love doing the dyeing too, and I like sharing those things too. And then there's the other ones that I do with yarn that is really very good yarn, which, funny enough, it's also made in small batches and it's made in a natural way. And so it's very good too. I just designed the product and created. So that's a different line of products that I do. But this is one thing that I love about your business, Jimena, is you're not just weaving or creating wool products that are like any other wool products that are out there. I mean, your yarns are very specific. The one you make yourself, no one can get that but from you because you make it. And this all elevates and makes you stand out from anybody else. And these are talking points for you too, that also allow you to command a higher price. Yeah, and I had the example like last week, if I may share that. In my last show, I had, which was a very good show in sales. I had really good sales. And there was this woman who comes and she loved one of my shells that I made in cotton, because that was another thing I did this year, is just experimenting with different fibers to see what happens in the summer, which is a very different story. And she had this other, she bought this yarn and and that shawl and loved it and said, I would love for you to make one for me. I said, yeah, I would love that. So I started showing her some pictures of my dyeing, of whatever I had been dyeing lately. And she said, oh, I want something with that. And the thing is, Sue, that she actually connected with me again a week later. So whenever you have the yarn, just let me know. And her enthusiasm, continue, continue, continue. And last Saturday, I delivered her shawl that I made from scratch, dyed all the wool, wove it for her, and she absolutely loved it. And that was like really the piece that started from zero to final 
garment around her shoulders. And it was great. And I know she's going to be a very good ambassador. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, you created a whole experience for her, right? She met you at the show. You showed her you didn't have it right there, obviously, which is proof that these are personally made to order in this case. Yeah. You showed her some options. So this was an experience interacting with you, mm-hmm. right? A relationship with you. Then the interest grew. Then you made her piece and delivered it to her. This could be a blog article, Hamena. <laughs> Honestly, the customer journey or one of the things I love the most about the business in terms of interacting and having, because now you have a relationship with her, a friendship, if you will. Yeah, she's been awesome. She's like, oh my God. And it was funny because she said to me, I need something nice for my Zoom meetings so they can see me. <laughs> oh, I love that. And don't you know, I bet you she told everybody who was watching those first Zoom meetings the story about the shawl. Yeah, she told me that. Uh, yeah, I've been promoting your shawls. So that's great. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> yeah, and it's coming from the story because it's also coming from how clear you got in the value of your product and defining your pricing as it is, et cetera. I mean, it's just a beautiful story. Yeah, and can I say something more about the pricing part? Mm-hmm. Of course. Even though this one, everything went well and no problem, I still continue to struggle with that. And I feel it's something that we all creators, even more if we are women, I'm sorry to say this, but we tend to not give ourselves all the credit that we deserve for the things we do. We have a hard time doing that, let's put it that way. And it has been a learning process. And definitely you have been an amazing helper with that because you've been through the Makers MBA and everything I chat with you, you kind of reinforce that. And my husband has always also been my children. So I have all this kind of support group around me that makes me just be bold and said, okay, I'm going out. If it doesn't work, it doesn't work. But I'm sure there was going to be someone who will be willing to pay the price with no problem. And it's like that. And you're seeing it. I'm seeing it. And because my products are high price, as we talked one time, I remember with you, is I don't need to have a lot of sales to make a decent amount of money. Right. And that's exactly what I was thinking. I was going to mention if you didn't bring that up, because especially with the pieces that you do where you are making the yarn yourself, Mm -hmm. think of all the time that goes into it, right? And so that comes at a cost. So the people who get your pieces should feel very fortunate and lucky. And oh my gosh, Jimena, I mean, my shawl that I have, with all the time that we've been working together, I've known about your products and all of that, the lusciousness of the feel Mm -hmm. of the shawl is incredible, which I was going to re-talk about the issue with the production as part of your price, because so often we'll say, well, there's no real cost because it's my time, but that is a huge real cost for your products because of the time that you put in. But then the other thing that I'm thinking and where my mind started going with this is I'm not surprised that you're seeing a lot of success with live shows because people can touch, feel, try on your pieces in person. And so all told for you, probably live shows are always going to be better for that reason alone. Yeah, that's what my husband always says. People need to touch your pieces. They need to see them because 
they're not going to get it from a photo, even if your photos are excellent. It's like they really need to. And it's true. It's true. People come to the booth and they touch and say, wow, their expression changes. It's like, yeah, that's exactly. Yeah. You know what? You need to get some video of people experiencing that. (laughs) I'm not even kidding, because that's the way online people will understand that. Mm hmm. And that may be why Etsy wasn't performing as well for you, because even though I know that at that point, way back when you started your Etsy shop, you still probably were higher than just factory-made knitted shawls, right? Oh, yeah. So people probably were like, well, why would I buy that if I can buy this? And it's like a third of the price or whatever. So Etsy might not long-term ever be the best place for you to be. Live shows might always be. And the website, of course. And your images, oh my gosh, are so beautiful. I can barely even stand it because I was with you along the path as you were developing your website. And oh my gosh, everybody have got to go and see the images on the site. They are absolutely spectacular. So that does help with the quality, Jimena, because your images are so high class and show the intricacy of the patterns and all of that. So that also helps it all ties together with your higher price. Now, you'll have to do an average because different shows have different prices to attend. But how many, and let's just go with one product. Let's just say a shawl since that's what we've been talking about throughout this whole time. If approximately how many shawls would you have to sell at a show for it to be a successful show for you? Well, if successful, you consider to... Paying back the cost of admission and more. Oh, well. Like, would you say bare minimum, I'll say a show is a success if I sell X number of shawls. Our conversation continues right after a quick word from our sponsor. Yes, it's possible. Increase your sales without adding a single customer. How, you ask? By offering personalization with your products. Wrap a cake box with a ribbon saying, Happy 30th birthday, Annie. Or add a special message and date to wedding or party favors for an extra meaningful touch. Where else can you get customization with a creatively spelled name or find packaging that includes a saying whose meaning is known to a select two? Not only are customers willing to pay for these special touches, they'll tell their friends and word will spread about your company and products. You can create personalized ribbons and labels in seconds. Make just one or thousands without waiting weeks or having to spend money to order yards and yards. Print words in any language or font. Add logos, images, even photos. Perfect for branding or adding ingredient and flavor labels too. For more information, go to theribbonprintcompany.com. Normally the shows I've gone to, the cost of the show is less than the cost of one of my shows. Not for much, but it is. Or it would be the cost of the cheapest side of my shawls. Like one of, I have different prices for my shawls too. So I would say that if I have to cover that and, you know, transportation to there, I would say that if I sell four pieces, five pieces, I'm fine. I'm happy. Okay. All right. And that's what you're seeing now, right? And more. Yes. There are shows that I sell more than that, or there are also shows when I sell pieces that are more expensive. Right. Yeah, I was just kind of thinking on average. And this is, if you, as a listener, if your product is a higher price, you've got to think that mindset. You don't have to sell as much to make some of the shows or whatever else you're doing pay off for you. 
But what you should do is stay in your pricing lane. Yeah. Like, Jimena, you would never go and start selling low-priced items. No. Then your whole image gets blurred over. Yeah, the only thing I did this year was that I started doing some beanies because I like doing, I mean, I started doing while I was watching TV, doing crochet beanies or whatever. And I liked them and said, I'm going to put them out there and see if people buy them. And they were pretty cheap. But I did it like an experiment. And I did sell. I did sell a bunch of them because people would come and, yeah, well, I don't want to spend that money, but I like your beanie. Well, let's get one of those. Yeah. And the beanies, were they from special yarns too? No, there were mostly like I use like leftover yarn that I have from projects that I use. And and they are not all of them. I mean, they are really nice yarns, obviously, but they are not made with the yarn. No, not the yarn you make, but still the Uruguay wool. Yes. So you still stayed in line with your image. Yeah. You just made some smaller, high-quality pieces that were lower price points, but still upscale for what they are. Yeah. Good, because I was thinking we needed another coaching call. (laughs) No, no, no. Honestly, you know, I kind of did them as a test, as I said, to see, because one of the things I noticed, and this is something interesting to talk about, is that because what I do is made out of wool, I realized this year it was a very good learning experience to see, okay, in the summer, when you are in 102 degrees, nobody wants to buy something made out of wool. And not even cotton, because I also did cotton pieces. So I decided, okay, I need to do something that will maintain me or support me through summers. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's also something I'm considering. So you're figuring out what that could look like. That makes sense. And your season with your current products is clearly fall into holidays through the spring, you know, when you're needing shawls and even early summer when there's still more chilly summer nights, I'd say. Yes. I thought about that, you know, that's why I created a cotton line that I sold a lot of pieces, but I thought it was going to be like out of my hands, like right away. And it wasn't. No, I mean, this totally makes sense. And this aligns everything that you're saying aligns and is such an obvious synergy with what your product is, you know, that you're seeing success in face-to-face shows. Etsy maybe isn't performing as well as it might. I know that you've started looking at making sure that you're getting emails so that when you're exhibiting at shows, you start collecting emails because not everyone's going to buy right when they see you, but they might want to buy the next time. So they need to know the next show you're going to be at. Yeah, that's a work in progress. Mm -hmm. That's okay. (laughs) That's okay. (laughs) I know you're working on it. And that's also a good point. Like you can't do everything right away. No. Which is fine. Yeah, I've been trying to put more emphasis on social media and no kind of direct connection with people through social media than with emails. But I will. I will. That's my goal for this year. They're kind of both because different people will be attracted to you in different ways. Yeah. So some of the people who come up to the booth during the physical shows, and let's say you had a giveaway for a beanie or be the first to know some of the new designs that I make because they may not see anything at the booth that like pulls them. They love the quality, but the colors, like maybe you've sold out of colors they would have wanted for them to be able to be the first to know is of value. That would be a reason I would give you my email. I want to know, right? But I might not be following you on social right away. 
So you have different audiences. Some might see you at the shows and you're local. Some might be following you on Instagram or Facebook, you know, all different places. So that's why it's good to be doing both. But it doesn't mean that you have both from zero to 100 in a week. Like it takes time to build and develop and get it into a system, right? Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. So let's talk about social a little bit, because I'm telling you, whenever I see you on social, I just have the biggest smile on my face. (laughs) And there's a few reasons. We were already talking about the images that you make and how high quality they are. But also, you've done things that most people, honestly, Jimena, will never do, like go live, right? Yeah. Talk about that. Talk about your first video that you did. Yeah, I've gone live and I also have a YouTube channel where I mm-hmm. post videos and it's really, it's been more successful than what I thought it would be. So this is funny because I find myself feeling very comfortable with social media, with the Instagram thing. And I don't know if because my daughters use it or whatever, but I feel like in my, how do you say? In your mind, in your gut, like intuitively? I kind of, it's fun. I find it like it's so much fun to do that and I know that many times maybe I'm too expressive (laughs) or whatever but I find that doing lives on Instagram I haven't done on Facebook only once but on Instagram it's another way of showing who I am and showing you know the backstage of things and I expect to make connections with people in that way. This is who I am. This is the hand and the personality behind all these pieces. And it goes with the piece. That's what I want. So when you get a piece from me, you know you're getting something from me too. And that's how I like it. Even if someone says, oh, that's not super professional or whatever. Then, well, that's how I am. I'm going to do it this way. (laughs) Well, I'm looking at your Instagram account right now. And... First off, one good thing to know is we used to talk like a year ago, maybe two, I'll say a year ago, that your Instagram feed, so what everyone sees all the time, should be like a well-curated magazine. Mm -hmm. Like it should be like the plushest of plush, beautiful, all of that. Things have changed now, luckily. Thank God. We can all breathe a sigh of relief. And people want to know the Instagram account owner especially when we're smaller brands, like not the big brands, I'm talking about us. And you should go live and be yourself. I mean, that's what we would want. Because if you tried to improv that you were something different, it would come through, it wouldn't work. So being you and just having fun with it is fabulous. But the one thing that I really, really want to point out, and then you're going to tell us how you do this, is we've already totally I mean, everybody who's been listening thus far understands that your product is high quality, upscale, everything we've talked about. Your imagery shows that too. Like, even though you say you're more casual, I'm looking through all of this and I see there's a picture of a house. I'm not sure why that's there and your cat, but it's all (laughs) still, some of it's showing just the personality of you. But when you get to your products, it is all beautiful photography. So share with us what you do to get these photos, because I think people are going to be surprised. Oh, yeah. Do you really want to know? Yes, we want the honest truth. (laughs) It's called cell phone. Mm -hmm. But where? In my backyard. Yeah. I happen to have the space and the surfaces I like to use as my background. 
before I started taking pictures, I obviously I browse through Instagram and other people doing the same things or similar things. And, and, you know, there's a pattern of how photos are taken there. Normally there's either a white background or kind of a stage thing. And I like that. It's fine. But I never felt connected to that style. And I do like wood a lot. And I like the contrast between wool and wood. <laughs> and I found this piece of fence in my backyard that was the perfect area to take photos. So that's mostly where I take my photos. I like to use a lot of, as I said, wood, but driftwood too. Like when I have my shows, my setup of my booth, it has a lot of driftwood. Like all my hangers are made with driftwood, all my everything. And I feel like that's as attractive as my pieces for the people who come to the booth. And I like taking pictures in natural light, obviously, and not always an even light because I feel that the mix or the blending of the different lights shade with the wool and the texture of my pieces, that is also really attractive. And yeah, that's how I do it. Just hang my pieces in my hanger on that little corner and I use my phone, which I made sure that I got a phone that has a good camera. Yeah, let's put it that way. When I changed my phone last year, I decided to pay attention to that. That was the most important part. Mm -hmm. So I do that. Like, for example, if you see my post from this morning, I mentioned the three things that I really like the light, the space, and the texture. And that's what I try to put to show in my pictures. Yeah. And this one also, you can see that there's a little bit of shade going on there too. That's beautiful. So, and you also, I'm seeing you're doing a lot of carousel posts. <laughs> yes. <laughs> which is great. I mean, that's one of the ways that you get more reach because people who are looking as they're scrolling through those pictures stay in Instagram longer. Yes. And also because I learned that, and that's, I learned, my daughter told me this, that my stories that were the ones that were having more than one photo are only seen by my followers. And I said, oh, really? Only that? Oh, no, I wanted to. So I'm trying to do that in the posts. So it's a little more open that just my stories, just so my followers. It's true that that is what happens is you go deeper than with your followers in your stories. But I'll also tell you that I've been doing some hashtags in my stories. And getting people watching them that aren't my followers yet. Yeah. And especially like when you go to a show, if you're doing stories at a show, do the hashtag of the show and then hashtag of the town. You probably are already doing that. I'm just going to bring it up. But I am directing all of you to go and look at Jimena's account. It's called Antrelanis Designs. The link will be in the show notes. And so I want you to look at some of the quality of the photos, but I also want you to scroll down, don't be embarrassed, Jimena, to the one that is her, she's in a, looks like it's a blue and white striped top, but it's a video and she's trying on all her beanies. <laughs> yeah, that's and a funny one. it's so fun because, and it's sped up, right? But you're doing so many fun things there because you're showing the different beanie styles you're showing your personality. It's sped up. So I'm like, want to see, well, what's the next one she's going to bring out? What's the next one she's going to bring out? And it's so great. I absolutely love it. I mean, this is absolutely perfect. This is so great. 
one more thing I think I'd like to cover here for a minute, and then I'm going to ask you a final question, okay? So you were one of the people who attended the first at-home craft and gift show this year. So we know that your face-to-face shows are working really, really well. Can you share with us a little bit of your experience with a virtual show? And for those of you who are brand new to the podcast or don't know about this, I've linked up with at-home events to put on virtual shows. Now, this is not for wholesale. Like, you know, you talk about trade shows and you're looking for wholesale placement. And so this is totally different. This is direct-to-consumer. And Jimena, you were part of that show. So share with me a little bit about your experiences from that show. Well, it's interesting. I prepare for that show in a way that I thought it was enough for me to gain visibility. And I have to say that in the end, I realized I should have done more to get there in the sense of promote it more. I found that it was a cool way. I like the structure of the show. The idea of being in your booth and people coming in and talking to you and you being able to show. I love that part. I absolutely loved it. I had fun doing it when people would come and you know knock on my door. I didn't have as many visitors as I thought I would have. But I think that was maybe because of I didn't put much effort in promoting it. So I think that was part of my work towards it. But I think the structure of the show, it's really cool. It's not the same as a live show, obviously, but it does kind of substitute a little bit of that because I was able to show, like put in front of the camera and they could see much better than just in a still photos. And I could model things for them if they were interested. I think that was a cool thing to do. Yeah. And you could even do some demos if you wanted or actually be looming right then if you wanted to for that matter. Yeah. I mean, I'm seeing the future of virtual shows like this. And again, to the consumer, not just wholesale, as a totally separate option versus live shows. Like it's not just taking a live show and putting it online. It's an experience unto itself. But the opportunity is there then to reach people like on a national basis that you would never be able to reach. I also see like Jimena, and I don't know if you've done this, you can let me know afterwards. But if your email was up to where it could be because I'm not sure where you are in that process right now. People who wouldn't be able to come to a show because of weather or not able to make it for a day, but still want to see more of your pieces in person or communicate with you, like that woman that you were just talking about who you made, they could then come to a virtual show very easily from their home by being able to add in that layer and email everybody to say, hey, you've seen me at live shows. Here's another live show online. (laughs) Come visit me. I'll show you what my newest designs are, things like that. Yeah, I did that. I did that with my group of customers I had or friends. And I actually had people coming. The people who came were because I sent them an email. Oh, good. So for people who might be considering looking at one of these shows in the future, what types of things when you say you felt like you were less prepared than maybe you should have been, what would be your recommendations for people? Well, my recommendation would be to really put time and effort in promoting it in all your different channels, social media, email, to talk to people and tell them where you're going to be. Obviously, because people don't know, if you people don't know you're going to be there, how are they going to be there? Right. You know? So you don't expect that. 
And also, I don't know the structure of how people would get into the show and go to your booth. What took them there? What was that attract them to go there? You know what I mean? What's the draw for them to come to your booth versus somebody else's booth? Yes, exactly. Okay, that's interesting to think about as we move forward, for sure. All right, so let's move on to the future. What are you working on right now? You've talked a little bit about your kind of noodling in your head, what you might be able to do for more of a warm weather product. So I'm going to be watching for what that's going to look like. <laughs> that sounds really interesting. But what are you working on right now? And what are your goals in the upcoming, let's say, year? Well, let's see. What I'm working right now is to kind of replenish my inventory and create new things for the year. I have a show already set for the month of February. And I'm trying to see to, you know, it took a little time for the shows to reappear that way after the holidays. Like the one I used to go before the holidays has not set up dates yet. But my goal would be to try to do once a month, mm -hmm. outdoor market once a month, and to try to experiment more of my own uh, yarn and creations from scratch. Absolutely. And also, I'm going to start testing to see what happens with a home line, which is more thinking of for the summer, like of pillows, throws, that kind of stuff. Just those two, let's say, not that kind of stuff, just those two, like pillow covers and throws. Mm -hmm. That's it. I don't want to expand too much because I can't, you know, do it. Oh, I like that. That makes me really curious. Yeah, I love that. Because that gives another possibility, for example, for different materials that I can use. And also people would be more inclined to look at that in the heat than to think of, oh, I'm going to try a shawl around my shoulders when it's super hot. You know? <laughs> All right. So where would you direct people to go to see your products, learn more about you? Where would be the one place online you would want them to go? Oh, my website, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> yes, please go and visit my website. It's entrelanasdesigns.com. And there you're going to find so more about me, more about my values and what I stand for, and also all my pieces and the ways to obviously to see all of them, appreciate some by them. Yeah. Beautiful. And then I would say on Instagram too, I do have Instagram shop, so you can buy through Instagram and Facebook too. And Instagram is the thing that I update the most often. So that also gives you an idea of where I am. So, and it's always the same name, Entrelanas Designs. Wonderful. And we didn't get into this today, but there are a lot of people who are so anxious and nervous about putting up their own website. And you have created yourself a gorgeous, gorgeous site. And I watched the evolution of that. And it's just fabulous. So it can be done. <laughs> Absolutely, it can be done. Yeah. And I did it all myself. And I made sure that every single thing that is there is absolutely mine. Like all the photos you find there are mine. I took those photos. But it's possible. It's doable. Absolutely. It just, it requires time. And you know, if you remember the process, there were moments when I was really frustrated because I couldn't get to what I wanted. But you can do it and you just put it as a goal. Absolutely. Put a date when I will be ready by this date and work towards it. Yeah, That's right. So that's just the website. But yeah. what would you say to somebody who's listening right now who is thinking of starting their business or 
was like you were way back, let's say, early 2019 before the first show. You know, you've given some products to friends, family, you've gotten some good feedback, but you really haven't dove into starting walking down the path of starting a business. What would you say to that woman? Well, first of all, what I would say is, is it what you're doing, what you love doing? Because I feel like if you really do what you love and you got proof from people around you that what you do is beautiful and it's worth showing to the rest of the world, then that is a very good start. And then I would just say, just, you know, go for it. Absolutely. Go for it. Put all your passion and your time and creativity and let go of expectations and don't listen to criticism, especially if it is, don't listen to negative criticism. Including your own. Including your own, yes. <laughs> and listen to people who love you and who can give you good feedback. I just read something yesterday that's funny. So you don't listen to the criticism of people that you would not go to ask for advice. Oh, that's good. Yeah. If you're not, don't pay attention to that. And I can tell you a little thing that happened to me many months ago. I posted a photo on Instagram and of one of my pieces, and it was from the bottom of the loom. And it, you could see the texture of the piece, but you could see through it. And I got this comment from someone whom I don't know, who was kind of a negative comment, like, you know, something like, oh, I wouldn't do it that way, something like that. And I said, why would you say that to someone you don't know? Really? It's like, absolutely not. And that comment made me think, I don't care about what you say, really. You know, you don't know me. You don't understand what I'm doing. And I'm not going to pay attention to those kinds of comments. And since then, I thank God, nothing else. No one else said something like that. But it made me think, you know, wow, that shocked me that someone would say that. And just go on, put it aside, continue going where you're going and don't pay attention to those negative things. Yeah, excellent advice, because we're going to get them. There are just people online who oh, yeah. are going oh. to be that way. So that was a great story to share. And I'm glad to hear that you could just brush it off. Yeah. Just let it go, not affect you and carry on. Okay, Jimena, this has been wonderful. Thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story. The business is evolving. We know yes. where you're looking at going sometime in the future, maybe even full time, which means there'll be more of your gorgeous <laughs> items out for us all to have. <laughs> Let's hope. Well, thank you so much, Sue. I love being with you. It was really nice to talk and to share all these things with your audience. One of the things I admire the most about Jimena is that she knows the value of her product and isn't afraid to charge what it's worth. As an upscale artist, she doesn't need to sell the volume a more modestly priced product maker does. It's a different business model that works within her life beautifully. One isn't better than another, and there are many factors that play into your pricing position. But Jimena does a wonderful job of representing and staying true to her quality and her pricing, all that make up her beautiful brand. Jimena could not have done all of this without the right mindset. That's the topic we'll dive into next week, tackling the self-imposed limiting beliefs that come up. And here's something to know. This will happen all the way through your business journey. So if you're just starting, it doesn't mean that when you see success like Jimena has, those doubts magically disappear. 
It's a matter of facing them head-on and learning how to deal with them. That's for next Monday. Thank you so much for spending time with me today. If you'd like to show support for the podcast, would you give me the gift of leaving a rating and review? That would mean so much to me, and it helps the show get seen by more makers. So it's a nice way to pay it forward. It's also best to subscribe so episodes automatically download to your phone. That way you don't miss a single show. How do you subscribe? Just pull up Gift Biz Unwrapped on your podcast app of choice and tap the subscribe button. Easy. And now, be safe and well, and I'll see you again next week on the Gift Biz Unwrapped podcast. I want to make sure you're familiar with my free Facebook group called Gift Biz Breeze. It's a place where we all gather and are a community to support each other. I've got a really fun post in there that's my favorite of the week, I have to say, where I invite all of you to share what you're doing, to show pictures of your product, to show what you're working on for the week, to get reaction from other people, and just for fun because we all get to see the wonderful products that everybody in the community is making my favorite post every single week, without doubt. Wait, what? Aren't you part of the group already? If not, make sure to jump over to Facebook and search for the group Gift Biz Breeze. Don't delay. Come join us in Gift Biz Breeze today.